Well, it's a joy to be with you and to have the privilege of worshiping God through the ministry of God's Word with you today. And I count it a joy to be able to do that. So before we jump into the text, I ask that you would pray with me one more time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your help now that as we consider your word. We pray that you would send your spirit to help us understand. Speak through this broken vessel your words and not my own. And send your spirit to help all within the hearing of your word to understand and, and lay on our hearts what you would have for us to learn and transform us by the power that's found in your word. Help us to have wisdom that comes from above. And we pray all of these things in the name of Christ. Amen. So the human race has always looked to philosophers, teachers, prophets, those kind of people for uncommon wisdom, in the hopes that we will hear something helpful, something to improve our lives, or make us happier. People have embarked on this quest for all of history, for, for millennia. But of those speakers, of those people, of those philosophers, who can we trust? Who really possesses true wisdom? Well, just to do a survey of a, a few people that have been trusted in the past. How about Confucius? He said, by three methods we may learn wisdom. First, by reflection, which is noblest. Second, by imitation, which is easiest. And third, by experience, which is the bitterest. Or there's Buddha, who said, if a man can control his mind, he can find the way to enlightenment, and all wisdom and virtue will naturally come to him. Or maybe a more contemporary example. Knowledge speaks but wisdom listens. That comes to us from the great 20th century philosopher, Jimi Hendrix. Or then there's Socrates, who said, the only true wisdom is in knowing that you know nothing. All of these seem to at least match what Google defines as what wisdom is. The quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment the quality of being wise. But in light of all this, what does the Bible say? What does God have to tell us about what true wisdom is and where it's found? And that's where we come to today's passage in James chapter 1. I believe that's on page 1011 in your pew Bible. Just to set the context, James here is speaking to Jewish Christians in the first century A.D., who are, as he says, facing trials of various kinds. And he lays out a series of tests in chapter 1, diagnosing what true faith in Jesus Christ looks like. And speaking into their trials, James comes to discuss the very question which we're considering today. Where can I find wisdom? So let's read in James chapter 1. I'll read verses 2 through 8. But the, the verses we'll be focusing on today are 5 through 8. And after I read the text, I will say, 
This is the word of God, and I would encourage you to respond. Thanks be to God. So let's read James 1, starting in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So, basically what I'm going to do is take us through the questions that we would ask of any event that we're trying to learn about. And we're going to ask those of wisdom here. What, who, when, where, why, and how? Trust me, it's not going to be a two-hour long sermon. Don't worry. But before we can dive into this text, we have to actually understand what the Bible defines as wisdom. We heard a couple of examples earlier. But what does the Bible say about what wisdom is? And the best place to look is in the Proverbs, the book of wisdom. I'm going to go through a couple of definitions and examples of what the Bible says in Proverbs about what wisdom is characterized by just through the first couple of chapters of Proverbs. I'm just going to list them down, and we'll start to form in our minds a definition of what true wisdom really is according to the Bible. We read in Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 1.23 tells us that wisdom corresponds to knowledge and understanding and that it comes from the mouth of God. 1.33 But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. So acquiring wisdom equals gaining salvation. In Proverbs 2, verses 4 and 5, God grants wisdom to those who seek after it. Proverbs 2.7, God reserves wisdom to those who he counts as righteous. Proverbs 2.7 and 8, God protects integrity and promotes justice through wisdom. Proverbs 2.9 and 10, wisdom upholds righteousness, justice, and equity. Proverbs 2.10, wisdom is pleasant to the soul. 2.11 to 12, wisdom guards the saints and delivers them from evil. Proverbs 3.13, the one who finds wisdom acquires blessing. 3.14 and 15, wisdom is more valuable than a precious treasure. Then Proverbs 3.16, wisdom leads to life and honor. And Proverbs 3.17, wisdom promotes pleasantness and peace. And then finally, Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. That's wisdom speaking. So we see very clearly there exists a vast difference between the wisdom of which the world speaks and the wisdom of which the Bible speaks. 
the wisdom of the world only points to discernment and knowledge and sound judgment, which a person can acquire through experience or self-reflection or, or something that they learn. But, but biblical wisdom, though it sometimes includes some of those elements, comes from a wholly different place. Wisdom doesn't come from our experiences or ourselves, but it only comes from God. True wisdom is divine wisdom. So try this for a biblical definition. Wisdom is the priceless gift from God to a person of knowledge, understanding, and discernment that accords with the mind and attributes of God leading to repentance peace, justice, integrity, and humility, and resulting in salvation and delight. I'll I'll read that one more time. Wisdom is the priceless gift from God to a person of knowledge, understanding, and discernment that accords with the mind of God and His attributes, leading to repentance, peace, justice, integrity, and humility, and resulting in salvation and delight. And then we see even from the book of James that he offers a definition for us about what wisdom produces. Later in the book, James 3, 17-18 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. With biblical godly wisdom, it always rejects jealousy, selfish selfish ambition, and is displayed in meekness, thankfulness, and reverence towards God because He ultimately is the one who grants all wisdom. So that's the, the what of wisdom. But what's the promise here in James 1.5? Let me read it again. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So who, to whom does the promise apply? You can figure this out from verse 2. As we read in verse 5, it says, If any of you... Who's the any? Well, if we, if we back up to verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. So James is clearly addressing Christians. He's addressing them with brotherly affection. So the extension of the promise which is said in verse 5 carries to all Christians. It's a promise from God to those who are trusting Christ for their salvation. And brothers and sisters, the promise is secured for all Christians, regardless of your circumstances. And it declares that wisdom from God is available from God through faithful prayer and submission to His will. God uses the particular circumstance in this case in James of trials uniquely to draw out our need for Him so that we would produce endurance of faith as we are brought into communion with Him. 
So trials expose where we are lacking in fullness of maturity so that we would be brought to trust Him more closely in the area of wisdom. I say with the authority of Scripture that if you're a Christian, the promise of wisdom is available for you personally for whom Christ died. Jesus Himself is the clearest expression of God's wisdom. It was in Jesus that all the wisdom was God, of God is pleased to dwell. Jesus is very simply wisdom in the flesh. We read earlier that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God. Throughout the Gospels, His teaching was marked and empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Wisdom. And people remarked and noticed His uniqueness of wisdom. And then it says that Jesus is the one who is greater than Solomon who has come. The one who in the Old Testament was the wisest who had lived to that point, and Jesus is greater. Let me read again from Proverbs. This is Proverbs 8. And tell me who this reminds you of. Starting in verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His work, the first of His acts of old. Ages ago I was set up, at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth. Before He had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When He established the heavens, I was there. When He drew a circle on the face of the deep, when He made firm the skies above, when He established the fountains of the deep, when He assigned the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress His command, when He marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside Him like a master workman, and I was His delight, rejoicing before Him always, rejoicing in His inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Jesus Christ has always existed eternally in perfect fellowship with the God the Father and with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Wisdom. And in Jesus we see that wisdom is encapsulated in a person. So true wisdom is actually found in relationship with the most wise person who has ever lived. And that's found in relationship with Jesus Christ. Apart from Him, no wisdom, no true wisdom, can be found of eternal value anywhere because He is the originator of all wisdom and out of the overflow of His infinite character spills forth all godly wisdom. 
when wisdom became incarnate in the flesh, in the person of Christ, in our foolishness as man, we killed wisdom. We mocked the one who represents the fullness of God's wisdom. We beat the one who spoke and acted always with perfect wisdom. And we rejected wisdom who called for us to turn from our sins and to trust in Him. He is the the source of all true wisdom. And instead, we hung wisdom from a tree and treated wisdom as a curse instead of the blessing of God's provision for life. This is a picture of human foolishness. But in God's wise plan of salvation, He exalted His wisdom over against our foolishness. It says in 1 Corinthians 1, 21-25, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen. When God rose Jesus Christ from the dead, He proved that His wisdom was wiser than the foolishness of man. God, being wiser than all of us, exalted His power over against the wisdom of this world, and He brought it to shame in that very resurrection from the dead. So, where is the place? This is the where of wisdom. Where is the place where we ask God for wisdom? It's very simply at the foot of the cross. We can ask God for wisdom there because Jesus Christ shed His blood to secure the promise in James 1.5. He secured it for all of those who would turn from their foolishness and their confusion and their sin and would trust in the person who exemplified true wisdom. And that's Jesus Christ. If you trust in Him that he, His death pays the sufficient penalty for your sin, that's where true wisdom is found in relationship with Him. So again I say, if that's you today, by the authority of Scripture and by the value of Christ's blood spilled out for you, the promise of James 1.5 counts for you that when you ask God for wisdom, He will provide it. Because He purchased it at the cost of His life. So let's read it again with fresh eyes. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. When should we ask for wisdom? The answer is simple, whenever we lack it. Think about situations where you might lack wisdom. In the depth of your heart is trial. Or maybe when God provides prosperity, we should ask wisdom of how to steward it. Ask God for wisdom in big decisions and little decisions. 
ask for wisdom when you feel powerless and you don't know what to do. Ask for wisdom when you think you have the answer. Ask if you're a leader, if you're responsible to speak or to act in some way. Ask when you're fighting sin for wisdom of how to fight. Ask for practical wisdom about how to pluck out your eye or cut off your hand in a practical way to deny yourself that sin. Ask for wisdom when counseling someone or discipling them. And ask for wisdom on the behalf of others. And then finally, ask at all times and continually. This is what the promise is available for. Why should I ask for wisdom? It says, let him ask God who gives generously, without reproach. We ask God for wisdom because that is who he is. He gives generously. That means exactly what it says it means. God delights to be known as a giver and spills forth overwhelmingly from his grace to his people as an expression of his goodness. God is by by very nature generous, abounding in love and mercy. And God is glorified to magnify the efficacy of the blood of His Son paid for sinners as He generously spills forth the promise which His Son's death purchased. God, when God says something, reality gets created. So this is why when God says that He gives generously, He gives generously. On top of that, it says God gives generously without reproach. Another way of saying it could be without finding fault. This is just the nature of the gospel, isn't it? Because in Christ, your penalty of sin has been paid, your sins are forgiven as far as from the east is from the west. So if you think of the way that God has been generous and doesn't find fault in the work of Christ with respect to your sin, it makes sense that his promise of wisdom would have that same character. When God sees you, if you're a Christian, he treats you with all the benefits that Christ deserves because his perfect life, Jesus' perfect life, was credited to your account when you put your faith in him. And you have been raised to walk in newness of life with Christ where the result is that all the promises of God, including for wisdom when you ask, are yes and amen. That's, that's great news. In addition to that, it says that God gives to all generously without reproach. What does that mean? It means that wisdom is available for all Christians without partiality when they ask by faith. Regardless of how long you've been a Christian, how mature you are in the faith, uh, regardless of your history, regardless of your background, whether you are Jew or a Gentile, whether you're black or white, whether you're a man or a woman, old or young, single or married, the wisdom of God is available for all Christians, regardless of those distinctions. And then it says in the promise that it will be given him. Very clear again. The promise of God is that it will be given. 
So God's word is true, and he makes that reality to be true in that promise. He will keep it. And he secured it by the most trustworthy word and the most effectual work that could ever be on our behalf, and that's the work of Christ. So again, I say, by the authority of Scripture and the completeness of the accomplishment of Christ, when you ask for wisdom by faith, if you're a Christian, it will be given. But that's different for those who aren't. So if you don't understand yourself to be a Christian, all of this grand, deep language of the surety of the promises of God, of wisdom, don't actually apply to you. That's because you're dead in your sins. I was dead in my sins. You're subject to foolishness and confusion and not divine wisdom. And the only thing you're entitled to instead of the promises of God, is the expectation of judgment and hell for your sin. But the good news is that Jesus came as wisdom incarnate to die for people like you and like me. Jesus was born. He he is God. Come to the flesh. That's why we celebrate Christmas. He lived a perfect life of sinless perfection. And then died the death that we deserve. So that when we put our trust in him and the sufficiency of his death on our behalf, we not only get our sins forgiven, but we get the gift of that righteousness which he accomplished for us. So that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. So if you're not a Christian, it starts with bad news, but the good news is, that you can put your faith in Christ today. That you just repent and turn from your sins and believe on Christ. And all of these grand things that which I've said about wisdom and about salvation can be yours today. So that leads us to our last question. How do we ask God for wisdom? The text says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The exhortation from James is to ask in faith, with no doubting. God's promise and all of the magnificent qualities of its security in that promise should draw you closer to Him so that he can be glorified as a faithful giver as you ask and see him respond. You should ask trusting that all of these things are true. Asking in faith appeals to the truth of God in his word and to his faithfulness that he will supply it. Asking in faith also appeals to the completed work of Christ, as which we said it secures the promise. Asking in faith believes that His blood was sufficient to cover your sins and to purchase the promises. Asking in faith trusts that God will give you more of Himself, even in the midst of your most confusing or difficult trial. 
and asking in faith, trust the timing and the means that God uses to provide wisdom for your situation. Asking in faith is continually and fervently prayerful in this way. So then how not to ask? For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. There's no other way to say it than to say that the, the doubter here, inasmuch as he's doubting, looks like an unbeliever. He, he doubts because he doesn't believe that God's word is true. He actually cheapens the work of Christ by implying that Jesus' blood was not sufficient to purchase the promise. His life is characterized by skepticism that God will deliver according to his steadfast faithfulness. And it says he's driven and tossed by the wind. He questions the goodness of God in ordaining his circumstances and his trials that require wisdom. And he's, this isn't just simple indecision like which way do I go? His thought process, his posture towards God is characterized by a pattern of cynicism about what God says. And he must not expect anything from God because anything done without faith is sin. Doubting is typically associated with and bears the fruit of prayerlessness, arrogance, and self-sufficiency. So just a diagnosis about how are, are you asking and are you trusting God in faith? Inasmuch as the doubter doubts, he will not receive anything, including wisdom. And uh, let me be clear. This, I'm, this isn't a prosperity gospel, word, faith message. I'm not saying that the faith which you expressed is somehow in proportion to the gifts that God gives you and that your faith activates the promises of God. Those promises are already activated for all those who are in Him by faith. So the command and the, and the exhortation and the encouragement is just ask by faith. Even the smallest mustard seed of faith and God will, will provide the wisdom that, you, that you're asking for because it's been accomplished by the blood of the Son. It says in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So God is, is a loving Father. We have only bad examples, uh, or not bad examples necessarily, but only faded examples of what God's fatherhood looks like. But just imagine what you would see out of the best father you could imagine. He's loving. He's generous. When you sin against him, he has his arms open wide, gracefully ready to forgive you. Whatever you conceive as the best father you could ever imagine, is, that's God times infinity. So God has his arms open wide to hear your requests and your prayers. And he generously gives wisdom when you ask by faith. So as, before we close, just a 
a couple of diagnostic questions, and a couple of takeaways. These, I hope, will help us think about how to ask in faith and, and what kind of wisdom to ask for. Is the wisdom I'm asking for uh, just intended to excuse my sin or my laziness? So, God, I need wisdom about whether or not I should go to work today. Well, we're called to work, and unless there's some circumstance that's keeping you from that, I don't think that's a, a biblical way of asking for wisdom. Am I asking in the face of a clear biblical answer? So, God, I need wisdom about whether or not I should lie on my taxes. Well, clearly, it says in the Bible that lying is a sin and that you shouldn't bear false witness. So you don't need extra wisdom to figure that out. Will the wisdom I'm asking for promote righteousness, peace, and integrity? Will the wisdom I'm asking for lead towards repentance and Christ-likeness? Or will it stir up dissension? The wisdom I'm asking for, am I confusing it with worldly wisdom? Am I just watching Dr. Phil and spiritualizing everything that I pray? Or am I actually trusting what God says about wisdom? And am I asking for wisdom in something that will actually tempt me to sin? So, Lord, I need wisdom about whether or not I should go to that bar tonight considering my alcohol problem. God's going to say, that's not wisdom. You're not asking for wisdom in that case. So, a couple of takeaways. Cultivate a confident prayer life asking for wisdom. God generously calls you to pray so that He can give over, over the overflow of His abundant grace. Ask for wisdom from a small group of trusted counselors and pray that the Lord would communicate wisdom through them to you. Pray bold prayers where the situation is so dire that you would see that the only way that wisdom could be expressed is to see that God provided it. Pray, pray for wisdom in those types of situations. Pray for faith when you're tempted to doubt, and pray for patience to submit to God's will and timing when you ask Him for wisdom. It might not turn out exactly the way that you expect, and it might not come immediately, but Trust the promise that God in His timing and His graciousness provides wisdom to all those who ask by faith. And then, pray that God would, would grow your faith to show you and to understand how He answers you when you ask for wisdom. Pray for eyes to see that. Life presents us so many situations which are confusing and difficult. I could think of a million examples of how to... what. God's wisdom looks like in this or that. but And it's often hard to discern the right thing to do, but the takeaway from today is that in God's kindness, He who is all-wise sent His Son to die, exalting the wisdom of God over against human foolishness. And He was raised from the dead so that we can not only have the promise of wisdom when we ask by faith, but that we could also know wisdom himself and have a relationship with wisdom. This is the power of Christ's blood poured out for you. And this is why we celebrated Christmas. This is why we can head into a new year with all of its uncertainties, trusting that a loving God promises us 
that when we ask for wisdom by faith, He gives it generously in time that we most need it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we need wisdom for all kinds of circumstances and trials. And we're stirred to trust in you. We pray that we would be people who pray and who trust you for wisdom. But even more than that, that we would be people who trust for our salvation in the one who is all wise to come to die for our sins. We thank you for Christ, for his death and his resurrection. And we pray that by the promise of God and through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that we would walk in wisdom into this new year. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.